Falcha. Welcome to the Village Oak Tree for August 30th, 2023. Hello again, my name is Terrence O'Donnell and I've come back to your digital village with more news from around the world and an op-ed about something specific that I hope will make you sit up and pay attention. This once a week podcast is hosted on rss.com is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Intunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, and a few others. A little about me. I'm a senior citizen activist of Irish descent and a self-professed Shauna Kay, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners, listeners to feel like we are sitting under your village oak tree, where I have headlines from news feeds and relevant blog articles that are important but lost in the shuffle of cable news. These stories are generally about climate change, racism, politics, and social injustice. For each article I present to you, there will be a link to read the, the whole piece in a, in a follow-up news, newsletters I post to medium.com, substack.com, and in the blog section of my website at crambahad.com. I have more about my website during the break. I don't ask for a subscription to this podcast because I want this to be shared as much as possible in order to push people to get up and make a difference on our world before it gets too late. I do have a donation tab on the Village Oak Tree webpage at rss.com where this show is hosted to help support my activism, much like passing the hat at the end of my visit. I will be taking a small break once I've given you the headlines I picked out for this week. Then after a wee break, I'll bring you the second half with today's special topic. This week, I have the usual mix of politics, climate change, racism, and such. In the second half, it's all about the deteriorating education system in the United States. Stay tuned to listen. So now we'll start with the news stories of the week that I picked out for you the last seven days. My first article came out about seven days ago, basically last Wednesday after I got finished with last week's show. And this came out of BBC.com. Gaslighting and shame, uncovering the stories of Ireland's Magdalene Laundries. Another story about the Magdalene Laundries of Ireland. This news piece goes on with more details about the shameless piece of Irish and Catholic history. There's also a reference to Joe Murtaugh's six-part BBC drama coming up in a month. Something I would like to watch. Maybe Netflix will pick it up. You know, maybe we can watch it here in the United States. My next story. A child was sexually abused every two hours in Pakistan this year, NGO says. Islamabad-based NGO records 2,227 cases of child sexual abuse in the country between January and June. This came out of Al Jazeera. Can you imagine living in a country like this? India and Pakistan have some of the worst records when it comes to protecting its people from crazy adults. A massive record of rapes, child sexual abuse, riots between Hindus and Muslims. It's pretty lawless over there in rural areas where tribal laws come ahead of federal laws in their countries. And I say this only because it seems like every week there's more and more stories coming out of Southwest Asia about Hindus and Muslims, mostly Hindus, you know, doing bad things to the Muslim populations, raping women because they're Muslim uh, or because they're Dalit, uh, their lowest caste system, and various other things. And these people are crazy over there. Children reaching UK in small boats sit to jail for adult sex offenders. Human rights group finds growing number of cases of minors held among prisoners. This came out of the Guardian UK news. 
So England is so desperate to get rid of their asylum seekers in an overwhelmed system that they are criminalizing asylum seekers of all ages and sending them all to prisons, regardless of their age. Sounds like a version of the American system of separating children from their parents at the southern border. In this case, all asylum seekers are just labeled as adults and thrown in with hardened criminals and child sex abusers. If you didn't have a mental health problem in a society before, you most certainly will have one now after coming out of, after coming out of this. And then here I, I, got, I, picked, I picked out a couple of stories about the Rohingyas. What is life like inside the world's biggest refugee camp? Six years after Myanmar's brutal crackdown, Al Jazeera explores the current living conditions in Rohingya refugee camps. And this one came out of Al Jazeera. The next one's also out of Al Jazeera. The story is pretty tragic. How many Westerners remember Rohingya? There are nearly a million stateless refugees living in a massive camp just inside the border of Bangladesh and Myanmar with nowhere to go as no one wants them. Living conditions are pretty horrific, yet only a couple of UN NGOs are helping a little as the world largely doesn't care anymore. They've got bigger problems to take care of. So then I got this article from a refugee. His name is Maung Sayadola. For six years, it says, for Facebook should pay for what it did to my people, the Rohingyas. For six years, I've been stuck in an overcrowded refugee camp in Bangladesh with little hope for the future. Facebook helped create conditions that got me here. And as I said, he's a refugee in, in the Bangladeshi camps. This young man is blaming Facebook and social media in general for the genocide and removal of the Rohingya from Myanmar. With all the billions of dollars that Facebook and Meta made, I would think they could spare a little for reparations for the damage they've done and in, in, in all the other places they cause around the world. And that's the big thing. These people are living, as I mentioned in a previous article, living in seriously squalid conditions. And social media, in this case Facebook being at the top of the list, helped do all of this damage. And with all the millions and billions that they're making around the world, you think they could spare a little bit to help these people out? Now, Mark Zuckerberg has about, got better things to worry about than a bunch of forgotten refugees over in Bangladesh. And this one also comes out of the area over there. This one is from Southeast Asia. UN says hundreds of thousands trafficked into Southeast Asia online scam centers. The fast-growing scam centers are generating billions of U.S. dollars in revenue each year, the report said. And another article out of Al Jazeera. Over 100,000 people each in both Myanmar and Cambodia, all coerced and trafficked into working for these online scam centers. Led by misleading job offers, coercion, and any other manner, these people are modern-day slaves for the criminal gangs in Southeast Asia. As I've said here many times, as long as humans are considered a commodity, they will be bought and sold like any other commodity. When they are no longer of any value, they're discarded like household trash. Think about that for a minute. Hundreds of thousands of people being held in modern-day slavery by criminal gangs they are allowed to do as they please over there. They're, and the police basically are largely powerless to, to do anything about it because the criminal gangs outnumber them. And they probably have better weapons. So this, these human rights abuses just continue. And they're growing over there because they're making buttloads of money. Now we're coming back over to North America. 
And I got this article out of The Guardian, although it has to deal with Canada. Quebec judge gives go-ahead for lawsuit over sterilization of indigenous women. Three doctors accused of perform performing or coercing women into sterilization procedures. A modern story that has tentacles reaching back into the distant past of English colonization of North America. The history of sterilization goes back decades in both Canada and the U.S. This is pure arrogance and nothing else. Doctors and legislators should not be allowed to perform many medical procedures without consent. Language barriers are not. But then, North America has always had a big problem with women's rights anyway. It's time to be honest about Native American boarding schools in the U.S. And I got this one from the U.K. And this came out of U.K. Sports and Yahoo News by Ian Kumamoto. A short story about how the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, or NABS, has started a digitizing campaign to bring more awareness of how bad the Christian churches in the U.S. and Canada brainwashed and abused indigenous children in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. Canada has been really trying to reconcile what they did. The Americans, not so much. But this group aims to change that. And then, you know, a little bit of history, uh, somewhat, because I've talked about this before. North America, because I say this applies to both the United States and Canada, have bad, rad reputations for these Christian-run boarding schools they set up to take the Indian out of the Indian children, as they said. And so there's been some news articles out of Canada, even just this last couple of days, how the, the uh, First Nations people up there have found more graves for children that they were that were killed at uh, died in and were killed at these uh, boarding boarding homes and buried unmarked as if they were trying to hide the bodies and they're trying to do something about it up there but here in the United States yeah nobody cares Iran Egypt Saudi Arabia among six countries to join the BRICS alliance again this is a political article from overseas this came out of cbc.canada uh, but it's been all in the news and every, everywhere else, too. More will, move will expand, blocks economic clout. Ha host South Africa says, deal was in the works for months. This could spell economic trouble for the already troubled U.S. There's been talk by the BRICS members about using a different reserve currency already. If these countries gang up and start cutting the U.S. out of the economic, out of economic trade deals because of past U.S. imperialistic indiscretions, the end of the U.S. superpower status will be a foregone conclusion. Americans better start tightening their belts and stock up. So basically, China has been pushing to um, change the reserve dollars of countries around the world over to their currency, which is the U.N., Y-U-A-N. And because of that, uh, it's causing some ripples in the economic part of the world, especially here in the United States. And American politicians are sitting up and taking notice. They're saying, no, we ain't got nothing to worry about. But be honest with you, because they're saying that, they're worried. So then I got another story about this stuff because it's been in the news a lot here this week. Analysis. Does BRIC expansion mean a new global order? Expansion adds economic heft to BRICS, whose current members are China, Brazil, Russia, India, and South Africa, as the world enters a new period of turbulence and transformation Experts tell Namita Singh, 
So this came out of www.independent.co.uk. Western alliances, most especially the U.S., are starting to get a little worried about this new group of trade partners making headlines lately. The BRICS alliance has been around for a few years, but now they're allowing in new members and expanding in January 2024 with more applications pending. There's been a lot of talk lately about how certain countries are tired of Western and U.S. alliances pushing and dictating world policy, and they want a new deal. Now they might have it. China wants to push the U.S. to replace the dollar, the world's reserve currency, which would help them, but, help them but push the U.S. further into the backseat of global affairs. Without the dollar as reserve currency, it would lose a lot of value around the world. American corporations and legislatures would be fit to be tied over the lost billions of profits from a devalued dollar. The federal government would end up in a major recession, and American standard of living would drop dramatically. Of course, the Westerners and the Americans are all dismissing this in public. But there are probably some very serious discussions going on in some private boardrooms all over the Western allied world right now. Republican border policy proposals are sadistic and would lead to chaos. This came out of the NewRepublic.com. Are we really going to shoot on sight people merely suspected of smuggling drugs? Their proposals are solely about appealing to the base worst instincts by Bryn Tannehill. This is what's called pandering to your base. Something Trump did in 2016 that got him elected and the foolish people want to do it all over again even when he mucked things up pretty badly. Now these Trump wannabes want to ante up to be Trump 2.0 by going to war with Mexico. They want to shoot cruise missiles into Mexican cities and kill any and all migrants trying to cross the border, justifying it by labeling them all as cartel criminals. Are these the kind of people we want running the U.S. government? And then I got another article following up with that, and this is an opinion piece by Chris Clem, in the in the hill.com rfk rfk jr asked the right questions about immigration will other candidates and chris clem is a retired chief of border american border police down there on the southern border so it's an honest take on a situation at the us southern border and an actual insight and actual insightful methods to manage the problem from one of the country's most idiotic presidential candidates Maybe there's something under the RFK Jr. hood after all, besides the MAGA stuff he's been spouting. Other than that, eliminating and making a massive effort to reunite families, spending money on technology and infrastructure to help eliminate the smugglers, work with Mexico in a nicer tone of voice to help people avoid the cartels, and most of all, do something about the massive backlog of asylum cases. These are all good ideas. So why can't Washington make that happen instead of spinning their wheels so much and crying about all the stuff going on at the southern border, which largely isn't happening? Now, we're going to jump back overseas again. And this is an article out of Al Jazeera entitled Comrade Nation Builder, How China Views Donald Trump Indictments in the U.S. Donald Trump's indictments have spurred credulity, incredulity and ridicule in China and strengthened Chinese state narratives of the U.S. in decline. So Donald Trump has become a joke overseas, especially in China. If you take a look around the world, most of the wealthiest nations are starting to move on without the United States at the helm. At the same time, the U.S. is starting to become a joke anymore in their social media. This is where the legacy of Donald Trump has left the United States. A meme joke in other countries around the world 
and as they move on without us. And I have, I'm coming back here to the United States with this one. This is an article out of the Guardian U.S. News by Abinay Clayton. Silicon Valley elites revealed as buyers of $800 million of land to build a utopian city. Group Flannery Associates, backed by prominent investors, quietly buy 55,000 acres of farmland in Northern California. So in a parody of the famous TV show Yellowstone, this wealthy investor group wants to build a new city in the middle of Northern California. We've all heard the stories the last few years about how they priced everyone out of San Francisco because now they wanted to do the same here near Travis Air Force Base. How many people really think they will, they will be allowed to live here if it gets built? It too will become priced out beyond normal affordability so that only the wealthiest can afford to live there. I hope the local and state authorities shut it down. And that's the big thing. They priced themselves out of urban San Francisco, so now they want to take all that with them and move it out to this um, you know, remote area of Northern California. Somewhat remote, but it's right next to a really big Air Force base. But the problem is they're having trouble getting permits for all this stuff, which I hope the state will say no. And this one is Chinese related, but it's about the United States as well. So this one came from Laura Strickler and Nicole Motor in NBC News. Is China really buying up U.S. farmland? Here's what we found. And now for the real truth. The story dispels the fear-mongering the GOP's been throwing out to any who will listen about how the Chinese are coming to buy up, buy up the whole country. As so many reporters have written about lately, the Republicans will say anything to scare you into voting for them. Then run away with your votes in cash and do nothing for you in return. So basically what this article found out is that the Chinese aren't buying that much property here in the United States. They never have been. As far as percentage goes, it's very, very, very low. So why is the GOP getting all scared up? Well, because they found something for you to be scared of. If they, if they ramp this up, it scares you. And if it scares you, you'll vote for them. It's a thing that they've been doing for decades, and they, and they think it's working for them. Well, hey, as, as a voter, stand up to these scaremongers. Don't, don't let them make you afraid anymore. And now I'm going to get into environmental stuff. I've got a list of environmental articles I found for you. Growing number of countries consider making ecocide a crime. Mexico, latest country, where government is considering passing new laws to criminalize environmental destruction. And I got this out of the Guardian.com environment section by Isabella Kaminsky. A lot of countries around the world have or are seriously considered this. The one noticeable absence is the United States. Now, I wonder why. I mean, considering just this week, I think within the last couple of days, President Biden has rolled back protections for wetlands to mirror what the Supreme Court has done. So why is he doing that? Well, he's trying to pander to votes. That's all. He's trying to get people to vote for him in the next election. So instead of protecting the wetlands, he's letting the Republic conservative Supreme Court dictate environmental protections. Southeast Australia marine heat wave forecast to be literally off the scale. Patch of Tasman Sea expected to warm over spring and summer to temperatures that risk significant losses to sea life. And this came out of the Guardian.com Australian News. Climate warming, anyone? The ocean is expected to get so hot in Australia's summer that they don't even have a chart that goes that high anymore. It's expected to rearrange the marine life down there in a big way. 
but the local scientists don't know by how much yet. I am sure there will be more on this within the next couple of months as they segue into summer months. And yeah, it's going to be real interesting down there. Um, this article talks about how a lot of marine life are going to be headed for cooler waters. The fishing, the fishing industry down there is probably going to be going crazy. Uh, it's going to, it, it's going to be, uh, going to be a major deal. And this one came out of China, China's summer of climate destruction from BBC.com. And this is by Stephen McDonald. Northern China has been nearly wiped out by climate destruction this year. And there are thousands of people who may get very kind of hungry this winter as a lot of rice farms were wiped out along with other crops. Stores, houses, warehouses, everything's affected by first the intense heat and then the typhoons that flooded everything in behind it. Climate destruction is worldwide and it's only going to get worse. And, you know, here, if, you know, anybody knows, uh, we got a hurricane slash typhoon rolling through uh, North Florida, Georgia right now. Um, it's going on as we speak here today. So I'm going to be interested to see how much damage that's going to cost. Panama's doomsday warning is not about holiday shopping. The nation is where the climate crisis, refugee crisis, and inequalities of capitalism intersect. But Belen Fernandez, an Al Jazeera columnist, an honest opinion from a non-American about U.S. imperialism in Panama and about the environment and global warming. Here's a quote from the last paragraph of her article. It remains to be seen whether Panama is a microcosm of capitalist self-combustion. But for the moment, at least, the potential climate-related demise of, of a canal that never should have been constructed seems an apt metaphor for an entire system that never should have been. So again, the links to these articles are uh, going to be in the newsletters um, if you want to get access to them. Um, I'll have uh, a copy and paste this into my website um, so you can, you know, kind of copy and paste into a web browser if you want, uh, if you don't want to pay for anything and as far as medium substack goes. And here's another article here coming out of South America. A Kyberry craze boosts incomes in the Brazilian Amazon, but at a cost. Acai cultivation has boosted local economy, but environmentalists say expansion of acai palms is causing a loss of biodiversity. And this came out of aljazeera.com. Another example how the poorest people in the world are forced to hurt the environment to stay alive because of the cravings of the rich and famous. So it talks about these berries that grow in these palm trees and how they're a huge craze for the wealthy people of Europe and North America. Um, because a bunch of media influencers say it is, you know, good for your skin, good for your health and all these other things. Uh, and these people are paying premium prices for this stuff, but at a cost down there in, in, in the Brazilian Amazon. And now we're going to get into a couple of things here. I, I told you guys uh, in the last couple of weeks about all of the nuclear bomb detonations out in the South Pacific. Um, you know, the article about French Polynesia. Last week, I brought you something about the Marshall Islands. And so I've got something. I got another one here this week. Endless fallout. The Pacific Idol still facing nuclear blight 77 years on. The film Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer has shown its global spotlight on the dawn of U.S. nuclear weapons tests. In the Marshall Islands, where 23 of those earth-shattering blasts happened, people have never been able to forget by Lucy Sheriff. 
And this came out of theguardian.com. Last week, I told you about French Polynesia and how the French were experimenting with their nuclear bombs. And I briefly mentioned Annie Week on Bikini Atolls, where the Americans detonated 67 of their own. The indigenous peoples are like those in French Polynesia. Cancer rates and genetic mutations from the radiation fallout are way above normal. And then there's the risk of the concrete tomb, as they call it. And it's gonna it's coming apart with rising sea level sea levels on Ruined Island. Built in the 1970s to cover all the nuclear waste and contaminated refuse from all the bombings, it's showing signs of age and deterioration. In other words, the concrete's cracking. Then there is all the testing done on on native islands on the mainland, and the waste shipped out to the Marshall Islands. You know, mainland as in mainland United States. Our Southwest desert got bombed like crazy. The U.S. set off 928 bombs during the Cold War out in the southwest deserts, mostly on Indian reservations. The U.S. has said they are done doing anything about the damage in the Marshalls, but that may change once this agreement comes up for renewal, as the Chinese are looking at the islands as a strategic investment. The islanders don't want to go with the Chinese, but money talks louder than promises not kept. And this is another environmental article from... The Hartman Report, how plastic created one of the most dire crises humanity faces today. The researchers found that the particles had begun to bioaccumulate in every organ, including the brain, as well as in bodily waste, unquote. So this article gives you the statistics from the scientists. We're killing ourselves with petrochemicals. We're killing all life on planet with nanoplastics. We need to find a way to stop if we want life to, on this planet to continue. The story has certainly changed how I'm thinking about my food packaging. I see around my kitchen and nearly everything you buy at the store is wrapped in some kind of plastic wrapper. There's no avoiding it unless you want to live on an organic farm and sustain yourself with what you can grow for yourself, including butchering your own meat. I know all about this as I grew up on a farm like that, and you need lots of land and willing to work long, hard hours. Something that is land like that is largely no longer available with all the people, over 8 billion people on the planet, and growing more all the time. So that's a problem. I mean, I grew up on a farm that had pretty good-sized acreage, so we could do all of that. But for urban people and anything else, no. I can't see you going out in hunter-gatherer societies or um, acquiring enough acreage I mean, you would need about two acres to grow a, a decent-sized garden, and you need hunting, you know, land to go hunting on. Uh, or, you know, you'd have to have a barn of some kind to keep your animals in. And then you got to butcher everything every fall. Now, I don't see the majority of humans in the world doing that right now. And so that's my environmental articles for you this week. Now I'm going to get into, I've got a... LGBT, LGBTQ article from Saskatoon. It's kind of political and about LGBTQ stuff. It, this came out of from Nicholas Frew at CBC News. Hunters rallied Saskatoon against new sexual education pronoun policy in province and schools. Schools must get consent to change name pronouns of students under 16. And first in New Brunswick and now Saskatoon. Canada starting to follow the United States in discrimination against transgender children more and more now. First there are the protests, then the governments get involved. It's going to be interesting how to see, see how the Canadians resolve this. 
and it's becoming a thing now. New Brunswick started it with saying that minors had to get permission from their parents in order to change the pronouns they want to be called in school. Well, as the argument is, what if you have parents who are prejudiced and will abuse the children over this at home? How are you going to control that? Well, that's the argument. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Canadians do. Um, of course, we all know that the Americans aren't going to do anything. They're going to keep doing their hate and discontent. But with the Canadians, though, I'd, I'd like to see if they come up with some kind of model so solution here for this. And this one is kind of political, but it also deals with society. And this one came out of another one from the HartmanReport.com. Right-wing billionaires and the GOP want a nation of uneducated, compliant serfs. They're getting their way now, and now we have the perfect storm. No, and this came out of today, today's Harmon Report. And it it lays out the case from for Americans and what's at stake if voters don't start taking back their country from the billionaires and their GOP lackeys. What's at stake is a return to medieval, medieval feudalism if the rich conservatives are allowed to continue on the path they're on. It's up to voters to realize this and wake up to the threat. Vote these wannabe feudal nobility out and bring common sense back to government institutions. And I have another article from CBC about LGBTQ. This one, though, is not so much a biased article and such. It has more to do with the Americans. So Ottawa, which is Canada's capital, capital warns LGBTQ travelers they could be hit by U.S. state laws. And this Deputy Minister Freeland says she's concerned with safety of every single Canadian and of every single group of Canadians by Peter Zimonjic in CBC News. Certain U.S. civil rights organizations out and out, you know, came out with travel warnings for Florida back in May. Now Canada's putting out travel advisories for the whole country with regard to LGBTQ travelers from Canada who may want to visit the U.S., they're giving out a general warning without naming names. I have to wonder how long before the EU starts giving out travel advisories for the U.S. Basically, what they're trying to say is, if you're an LGBTQ person in Canada, and maybe soon the EU, the countries in the, outside the United States are going to start telling them, hey, you go to America, you better be really careful because you could either get killed or end up in jail. White Christians say too many see racism when it's not there, new poll finds. finds. A new survey from Pew Research revealed once, again, revealed once again deeply divided religious Americans are on matters of race by Bob Smetana. And this came out of the WashingtonPost.com. This new Pew poll in itself doesn't mean much other than telling us, those who care anyway, what we already know. The U.S. is ingrained with systematic racism. It permeates the heart and soul of the country ever since the first Europeans, Europeans set foot on the American continent. The statistics here are just more numbers that prove what the African Americans, Latinos, Asians, Middle Easterns, and any other immigrant communities in the U.S. have been saying for hundreds of years. The white Christian descendants of the Europeans want to be in charge of the country, and they will fight to keep their dominance and narrative going any way they can. And my last article is about the United States, and it, and it also has a lot to do with the previous article about the Marshall Islands. 
So it's entitled, Atomic Veterans Overwhelmingly Denied Benefits for Illnesses Related to Radiation Exposure During Service. The Department of Veterans Affairs said has granted about 570 of 4,100 claims as, as many radiation-exposed veterans die of cancer and old age. This came out of NBCNews.com by Melissa Chan. As usual, the Veterans Administration has denied benefits for those who now qualify under the new PACT Act, just like they did with Agent Orange survivors and Gulf War Syndrome survivors, both of which I am. 8,000 service members who were exposed to radiation from cleaning up Anyuitok and the Bikini Islands, plus some downed aircraft sites, must most have been denied. It's the same old cover-up. They admit they did this stuff to us, but they don't want to help us when we need it. They're breaking their contract with us once again, just hoping we'll all die off so that we can't file any claims for what they did to us. I'm one of those who had to fight for my benefits for years, and they still tell me that, that certain things are still being researched. The trouble is we can't sue them for breach of contract either. We're stuck with these medical issues that were not our fault, yet the Veterans, Veterans Administration wants to deny it all. It helps keep their bottom line with the GOP. So that's the end of my first half articles. So it's time for me to take a break. And um, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. So stand by. And when I get back, we'll get into the second half. I want to take this time to bring attention to my website, crombiha.com. I have the RSS feeder enabled so interested folks can get a notice whenever I post something new. Within the website, there is a homepage where you can learn a little more about what Crombiha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little more about me in general. I have a blog page where I post copies of my online blog articles and stories and a copy of the weekly podcast with newsletters. I also have a drop-down menu with links to both podcasts and Spotify, a page with links to my Medium and Substack pages, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. If you want to read my articles and stories in Medium.com, you'll need to sign up for a $5 a month subscription. I offer everything for free for two months in Substack with an advert to sign up. If you enjoy reading short stories, poetry, and blog articles, I recommend Medium and Substack as great choices to find what you like to read about most and dive in as much as you want. All the stories, poetry, and newsletters I write will be available in the blog section of my website if you don't want to subscribe to anything. You just won't have access to any other great writers there, but at least I give you a choice. If you like what you read in my blog, please feel free to leave a message in the comment page of my website anytime. Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. My discussion this week is the state of education in the United States now. There are a lot of more new there are a lot more articles in the news feeds this week because schools are starting up this month in most states across the country. The biggest issue is the teacher shortage and the reasons why. The biggest reason in the U.S. for teachers quitting are classroom violence and in certain states, politics restricting curriculum. The lesser reasons are disparaging pay scales between school districts, districts that leave teachers having to work a second job to meet basic living standards and mental, mental health burnout. Let's talk about classroom violence first. Does anyone know about the six-year-old who brought a gun to his Virginia Beach classroom and shot his teacher in the head a few months ago? He bragged about it in the hallway as if it was nothing to him. It made him feel important. 
His mother is in jail for that now, for giving him a gun. Brawls between students in classrooms and hallways are a daily occurrence in a lot of inner city and poor rural schools with teachers getting hurt trying to break them up. There are a lot more incidents of parents getting violent or threatening violence against teachers and administrators nowadays. More and more, violence is threatened at in most mostly rural public school, school board meetings as, as parents disagree with what the kids are being taught. Some very loud parents have had to be removed by police or security during some of these meetings. Some meetings have been adjourned early because the school board members fear for their lives. Some states are pushing state-funded school vouchers so parents can send their kids to whatever school they want and have some of the tuition paid for, sometimes all of it, depending on the school. This causes the public schools to go unfunded, and some buildings are safety and health hazards now, but the kids and staff still have to attend. Oklahoma is in the midst of a court battle because one school district outside of Tulsa decided to fund a private Catholic school, which is against the United States Constitution, all of which leaves these underfunded schools to deal with violent children who probably need social services help or at the minimum mental health because of issues at home. With resource, without resources, they're just glorified daycare centers with teachers not trained to deal with these social and mental health problems. How about the recent issues of restricted curriculum and book banning? A lot of these mostly rurally populated Christian conservative school districts and states have decided that they don't want their children to learn the truth about history, social studies, or sex education. A couple of states, states have so restricted history, they have reinvented it enough so that certain topics, are, certain topics are not allowed or are taught with a totally different spin. They're pulling books about sex education, LGBTQ, and transgenderism, transgenderism off the shelves so fast it makes your head spin. Texas wants Christian doctrine posted in their classrooms. It is so bad in certain states that people are feeling very unsafe with their LGBTQ and trans students in these schools. They have had to pull them out for their personal safety. A lot of parents have opted for or are seriously contemplating moving from these unsafe regions of the country. Then you have the other shooters dropping on a proverbial floor. School segregation. It was outlawed in 1954, and it took almost another couple of decades before war was finally implemented across, implemented across the country. It's starting to make a comeback. The excuse now is lack of funding to keep certain schools open, so they're closed down, and the kids are shuttled off to crappy schools. This is happening in mostly minority families, such as the African Americans and Latinos. Imagine that. And you wonder why teachers and principals have had enough. They're having mental health problems and seeking better jobs. The majority of the educator shortages are in largely rural or underfunded school districts. Guess which states have the worst shortages? If you guess states with largely rural conservative populations, you get the prize. It is, the, it is mostly the poorest, predominantly rural states with hugely conservative, mostly white people who are behind these sweeping changes. Fed by the rhetoric of Republican politicians who are using fear to get themselves elected public office and remain there. This make-believe fear of others is driving all of this. Fear that LGBTQ people are coming to kidnap or turn their children gay. Fear that all LGBTQ people are pedophiles. They're afraid of kids having sex in school, so they think banning books, eliminating sex ed, and removing contraception is going to stop children from thinking about sex. 
Apparently, these people flunked basic human biology when they went to school, if they even had it. Where, it all, where does all this lead to in the future? The obvious answer is a lot more illiterate kids in, in the streets and country roads in the United States. But the other part is a lot more teenage pregnancies. With abortion laws outlawed in most of these poor rural states, there will be a lot more babies growing up in unwanted family situations or ending up in orphanages, orphanages wards of poorly funded states. More and more literacy. More and more children growing up looking for food and shelter, unable to manage that very well. If this trend into poor rural states continues and increases, there will be a lot more young homeless people roaming the country, getting into trouble with the law. That is where the corporations will step in, which is probably by design. Corporations are all about private schools and for-profit prisons and anything related to bring them more profits. They don't care about teachers and administrators in public schools, nor do they care about public school buildings, none of which makes them any money. But if they can bribe politicians to vote for school voucher programs and force the illiterate, hungry people into their for-profit prisons, then they're all over it. The divisiveness between people in the United States is not just red state conservatives versus blue state liberals. It's mainly between the worst of the have-nots versus the haves. It just so happens that most of the have-nots live in rural counties rural counties of the, of the country, and if there are enough rural counties in a state to have a majority, they dictate to the state governments with their elected representatives. There are some larger states, like California, that have a good mix of rural and urban counties, and, but they're at odds with one another within their states over religious ideology and money. As for these Christian conservative parents, the poorest of them are likely near-literate themselves and depend on radio and TV to feed them their local and national news. They pass on their values to their children, no matter what they are. Then these same conservative parents want to impose their values on all the other people in their school districts and public offices. Tribe mentality at its best. A lot of them grew up with the mentality that you don't need a huge amount of education to run a farm or work on a factory assembly line, passed on to them by their parents. But they don't want any government telling them what to do how to raise their kids, and so on. With teachers and administrators leaving these conservative school districts in droves, low student, student enrollment due to COVID and parents homeschooling or sending their kids to private schools or worse, kids are not going to school anymore. More and more schools will close, and more and more kids will end up working up on the streets, largely illiterate. Working children will make the corporations happy, but the educational standard of the United States as a whole will end up in the basement compared to other peer nations and even against developing countries eventually. If there were any more signs that the United States is in decline, here's a glaring one, rising illiteracy. If this trend continues, the U.S. will fall away and no longer be the richest, most powerful nation on the earth anymore. Military will shrink dramatically due to lack of qualified recruits. White-collar industries will have to rely on foreign workers to survive survive as there will not be enough educated Americans to fill the ranks anymore. Blue-collar technical jobs will go unfulfilled. Those now uneducated young people who don't have enough education to go to work in other than basic service work, like janitors and retail, customer service reps, ranch and farm workers, and so on, will be hungry and angry. The U.S. is nearly there now. Give it a few more years, say by 2040, if the current government lasts that long. So that's that's what I've got for you here. And I'm going to read off 
the title of the articles that I used to reference a lot of the material with. 2024 Republicans want to eliminate the education department. What would that look like by Lexi Lonas in TheHill.com? In some schools, dread over the new year, we're scared to teach, unquote. Educators report being threatened and attacked by students and in some cases their parents. Elsewhere, they worry about censorship by Laurie Lumpkin in WashingtonPost.com. School closures are coming and with mainly minority students shuffled. When schools have more students of color, the more likely to close, even when they're high performing, by Rebecca Redelmeyer. And this came out of, again, Washington Post. And this one I got from me, a medium.com article, The Silent Struggle, Priori Prioritizing the Mental Health of Teachers by Joy Yvette. And that's all I've got for you this week. I hope I've enlightened you a little with my choice of stories and thoughts. I will close out this show with my usual question and thoughts of the week. Where do your children go to school? Are you part of the privileged who could afford private schools? Or are you homeschooling your kids? Are the public schools where you're at falling down around your kids' heads as they sit in class? This is how badly things have become and are getting worse every year. Christian private schools are turning families away because there are too many applicants now. You should be worried about the quality of the education your children are getting as it has everything to do with how they will survive into adulthood. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and you'll return again for another episode of The Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Each podcast episode is free and can be found on many different platforms now, although some may have advertisements. Unfortunately, I have no control over that. Search for The Village Oak Tree or under my name, spelled out T-O-D-O-M-H-N-A-I-L-L -L in your favorite app. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree together during our time. As a Shauna Kay, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more and nothing but happiness come through your door. Schlanga which means goodbye now in Irish. <laughs>